So we'll be uh, reading uh, Amos chapter 2, verse 6 through the end of chapter 3. Uh, I think it's a long shot that we'll cover this, but uh, uh, that's what we'll read and then we'll uh, begin. Uh, Amos chapter 2, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who is as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? declares the Lord, or declares Yahweh. But you made the Nazarites drink wine, and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place, as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord, or Yahweh. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities." Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who shall not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds, therefore thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch or part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, 
and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. So that will uh, potentially be what we'll look at today. And we started to look at the sins of Israel in chapter 2, verse 6, uh, last week. And unfortunately, we started to see that their sins were the same as the sins of the nation. You remember, uh, the Lord has gone through for three transgressions and for four. And he's talked about Damascus and Gaza, Gaza and Moab and, and uh, Edom. And he's, he's, he said for three transgressions and for four. It's not like they only had four transgressions, but the picture is used to say there's three, but the fourth one uh, tipped the scales, in other words. And we looked at those verses in Proverbs where the man says, I've seen three things, but the fourth thing is, uh, is amazing. It's too wonderful. Uh, so so that's, what, uh, uh, that's what God is indicting Israel for, uh, the same thing, uh, but it's injustice uh, and oppression of the poor, and then false worship. Uh, a, a man and his son go into the same girl, the, the same temple prostitute. They do the same things. They drink and, and do all these things. Uh, then God tells them, look at what I did. I destroyed the Ammonites, I brought you out of Egypt, I raised up prophets, and then he says, isn't this really what I did? And if you were honest, you would have to say, yes, Lord, that's what you did for us as a nation. But verse 12 brings us to Israel's mistreatment of the prophets and the Nazarites. What a blessing to raise up prophets to tell you this is the way that you should go. What a blessing to raise up Nazarites who were a picture of godly separated people, uh, uh, like John the Baptist. Uh, uh, they're used as a picture in Jeremiah. They separated themselves. Uh, but what did they do? Uh, they caused the people to sin. They caused the Nazarite uh, to break their vows. Uh, it's possible that you, you, you can't find a record of this, but that's what they did. They put pressure on separated, consecrated people to, to join in with the sin. If, if you're a Christian man or woman and you work in a, an evil environment, you know that pressure, don't you? Come on, join with us. We're going out for a beer after. We're going to do this. How come you don't say the same words? How come you don't go to the <laughs> movies that we go to? How don't you do this, do this, do this? Why don't you join us? Why, there's pressure sometimes. But they also... Uh, rejected God's word and his presence among them. It, it says, they commanded the prophets, you shall not prophesy. Uh, I, I don't want you to speak into my life. I don't want you to tell me what Jehovah says I'm supposed to do. I don't want to hear it. Uh, chapter chapter 7 and, and verse 10, the, uh, the one priest is trying to tell Amos what to do. Amaziah the priest priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam and the king of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. So he's going to the king and he's saying, I want you to go after this prophet because he's not saying good things about you. Well, there wasn't anything good to say about that Jeroboam. The land, the land is not able to bear all his words. Those are heavy words, aren't they? The whole land can't bear what this guy says. We can't stand it. 
But that's but that's what people say about solid preaching. That's what people say about the, the doctrine of sin. I can't bear that. They won't admit they're sinners. We can't bear it. For thus Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this land. That's exactly the message God told him to, to speak. And then Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But don't prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. But it was the temple of the northern kingdom, the false temple that the first Jeroboam set up. Two places of false worship, two calves, Bethel and Dan. He set up priests, he set up feast days, he set up all these other things to start false religion. And then Amos says, well, I wasn't a prophet or the son of the prophet. I was following sheep and a dresser of figs, but here's a prophecy against you. You don't want to hear it, but I'm going to tell you more. And then in uh, uh, Micah chapter 2 and verse 6, I'll just read it. Here's that what they said to Micah. Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such, such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. And that was the conflict of the true prophet and the false prophet. The false prophet says, don't worry, this isn't going to happen. God's not going to judge his people. The true prophet says, you need to be concerned because God is going to judge his people for their sins. So uh, that's what they did. They rejected uh, God's voice. And then uh, verses 13 through 16 of chapter 2 speak of more of God's judgment, and it can be um, it can be translated, and it, it is in two different ways. Uh, for instance, the New King James Version and the New American Standard Version say, "Behold, I am weighed down by you, or weighed down beneath you." The, the The idea is that God is weighed down by their sin, and Isaiah uh, uh, chapter one verse fourteen, uh, God says, "I'm weary." of bearing them. All your feasts and all your false worship, God says, I'm weary of being under the weight of all this false religion. So that's one way to look at it. The American Standard Version and the English Standard Version say, behold, I will press you down. So God is going to do the action against them. He's not being weighed down by their sin. He's going to press down on, on them. And, uh, uh, commentators, uh, commentators say, well, you could look at it both ways. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you can't say the Hebrew says exactly this or exactly that. But, but notice, first of all, he says, uh, "Behold, uh, this is a uh, a time to stop and take notice." You 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 know that the the Gospel of Matthew does it over and over again. Behold, 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 behold. Mark goes real fast. And Matthew says, stop and behold, look at what Jesus is doing now. Behold, look what he's doing now. Uh, so here, God says, this is, this is what I'm going to, to do. Both things could be, could be uh, the truth. The picture is a cart at harvest time that's completely loaded down. The cart drives hard, the wheels press into the ground, uh, the cart creaks and groans, as it were, under this heavy load. I think we've all seen that. Did you ever load down a car and you realize, wow, th this car or this truck that I just loaded down, it's starting to creak, the, 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 right? The, the, truck is saying, the truck is saying, look, this is a little bit too much for me. 
And that's what God's saying. That's, that's what it is. Your sins are pressing me down. Either that or I'm going to press I'm going to press you down. And then all the other things uh, uh, that he talks about uh, bring difficulty and frustration to all their movements. So their sins press God down or God's going to press him down. But look at the frustration of all their movements that come in verses 14 through 16. Here's supposed strength. The swift person, what's going to happen to him? His flight will perish. We say, well, I'm fast. I can run away. No, you can't. Uh, what's going to happen to the supposed strength of the strong? He's not going to have any strength. See, this is God's activity upon them. What's going to have happen to the mighty? Oh, I'm, I'm one of the mighty men of Israel. Okay, well, you're not going to be able to save your life. What about the person that handles a bow? He's a warrior. God says, no, you're not going to be able to stand. Well, what about the person who's swift of foot? You won't be able to save yourself. What about the person that rides a horse? That's the best way to fight in those days. Get on a horse. Now you're above people. You can see things. You, you're no, what, what happens? He's not going to be able to save his life. Well, I got the answer. I'm stout of heart. I'm brave. I'm going to stand. No, God says, no, you're going to flee away naked. Uh, we remember in the introduction to Amos, we, we talked about how picturesque Amos's language is. And God uses him as a mouthpiece, but he brings out all these pictures. Uh, I, I used to have dreams of running away from somebody and I couldn't get away. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those, uh, Common dreams, they say, right? I'm trying to do something and I can't do it. Well, that's what God says is going to happen. You, you've done all these sins and I'm going to turn everything around. You're going to be frustrated and, and you'll have difficulty. Uh, and the result is no one, able, no one is able to be escape, uh, escape. God will press them down and thwart their efforts and all the categories of strength will be made into to weakness. And then there's underscored certainty at the end because the last part of chapter uh, or verse 16 says, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. And remember how important that is, right? In Jeremiah, hundreds of times. This is what God says is going to happen. That means it is going to happen. You, you can rely on it. You can be assured that it's going to happen. There's certainty. Now, the, the commentator, Alex Motier, has, has an excellent summary so far of all these sins. And it, it takes in all the nations and Israel and uh, Judah also. He says, first of all, they treated people as if they were things. He says, second of all, they made commercial profit over human welfare. You remember, they conquered Israel and they gave them to Moab, or they conquered them, and they sent them someplace else. That's what they did. I got all these people now. What am I going to do? I'll sell them to these guys, and I'll take them over here, and I'll destroy the fabric of their society. Uh, he gets them for the inviability of the pledged word. When you, when you pledge your word, that's what it's supposed to be. But the Israelites and all those other nations did not keep up their pledges of, uh, 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 of fidelity. The inadmissibility of, of nourished hatred. He, he uses the example of Edom. You remember, 
Esau was more gracious than Edom turned out to be. He saw Jacob and he, he kissed him. He fell on him. He said, this is great. I see you again. But the nation harbored hatred against Israel for the, for the rest of the time. There's another uh, uh, sin, the, uh, the ambition and the destruction of the rights of the helpless. You remember the one nation cut open pregnant women and they, uh, they burned the bones of, of a king. And then finally, the, the renouncing of, of vengeance. I'm going to pay back anything that happens to me. I'm going to pay back. Well, well th these are the sins. They're not only the sins back then. There's nothing new under the sun. What about human trafficking and, and, and all the lies that we see and all the hatred that we see? One nation hates another part of a nation, hates this, hates that nation. And people say, I hate the United States. Well, you've never been here. I still hate it. You're, you're different. There's untold cruelty and people are always making sure that they, they take vengeance. To Judah and Israel, God constantly kept telling them, any small step away from God and his word is going to become a bigger step. You don't take small steps away because they become bigger steps. And that's what he, that's what he brings to the, them and all the nations. And then uh, I did that little summary there because chapter 3 begins a different focus. Notice chapter 3 verse 1. Hear this word. And that becomes an organizing uh, word for chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 1. And uh, th they, they actually separated the chapters there. You realize it was just a text. Way back when it was just a text. But when they organized the chapters, they put here this word in 3, 1, 4, 1, and 5, 1. Hear or listen to what Yahweh says, what the Lord has spoken, and then notice what he says, spoken against you. What, what if I started and, and said, uh, folks, I want to hear, I want you to hear today what the Lord has spoken against you. You'd say, well, what's going on? What did I do? What is God going to say against me? You're saying he says something against me? Well, that's, that's exactly what, uh, what Amos is saying. Israel, I've gathered you together to hear the word that God is speaking against you. Well, I would be afraid. I, I, would, I would tremble. God's speaking directly against me. Yeah, yes, he is. And then he says that he speaks of the object of God's speech he says, the people of Israel against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Israel. And now he narrows it down. This is who I'm talking about. The people of Israel, in verse 2, we'll see, there's no other nation. And then he says, the whole family that I brought up, and he uses family in verse 2 also. Well, this is God's plan in history, isn't it? He brought them out of the land of Egypt. But, but first of all, uh, first of all, he put them there. It's God's plan in history, and it shows a greater purpose, but it also shows an ultimate purpose. 
He chose a nation. He delivered a nation. He showed salvation as a picture of the salvation to come because the ultimate purpose is salvation's going to spread where? To everybody. The gospel is going to go to everybody. The gospel is going to speak of God's redemptive power and the salvation power of God to everybody. And then the ultimate purpose is who's going to end up in glory? Who's going to end up in heaven? Who's going to end up as a beneficiary of this amazing salvation? And the Revelation tells us you can't number them. You can't number them. And they're from every tribe and kindred and race and tongue. They're from everywhere. But here's where God starts. You're my people. You're my family. And this is my purpose to get you out of there. The family, uh, the family got down there uh, uh, through Joseph, didn't they? We'll look at some of those verses. Seventy persons went down there. And uh, uh, Genesis uh, will tell you that uh, there was so many from Judah's family and so many from Reuben's family and so many from Naphtali's family and Gad's family and all those families. And if you don't believe the history of the scripture, that's what, ta that's what sometimes tags you in. Well, if God knew exactly how many people went down there, they must have really known. Or when, or when God tells... Ananias to go find Paul. You'll find him on a street called Straight. Oh, you know what street he lives on? You bet. God knows it all. God planned it all. God's doing it all. Yeah, but I thought this guy was dangerous. No, I'm showing him right now what he's supposed to do. He got the family down there. Verse 2 underscores the family idea as well. You only have I known among all the families of the earth. Well, well, you say, well, what does that mean? That, that God chose Israel out of all the other families? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it says. That's what it says. How did, they, how did he know them? He knew them by his love. He knew them by his choice. He knew them because he picked them out. And, and in Deuteronomy uh, uh, 7, uh, that's what he says. And this Deuteronomy is after the Exodus. It's after Numbers when they rebelled. It's after all the nasty stuff. You see, so you can't say, well, uh, God chose Israel because he saw what kind of a great people they were going to be. No, he says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Holy there means separate. Were, were they holy? I thought it said they rebelled in the wilderness. I thought he said that nobody that was in the wilderness was even going to make it out. Yeah, that's what happened. But they're holy and they're consecrated because that's what he says they are. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Not because you're so good. Not because there's something special about you. But look. Out of all the people who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he made to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Why is God doing it? Because of his choice. Why is God doing it? Because he, he found somebody in the Ur of the Chaldees named Abram and he said, look, I got a little plan here. I have, a, I have a plan. You're going to be the father of nations. A and that's what happened. The, the, there's obvious implications that God chose only Israel. That's what he said. That he revealed himself to them alone. Remember, it, we looked at uh, 
Romans 9, 5, where Paul says they had all those privileges, right? They had God's word, the oracles, the covenant. They had all these, these things that show them, you're my people. Oh, you say, but, but I'm of Italian descent. What about me? Well, no, you don't have the covenant. You don't have all those other things. Someday you will when the gospel spreads, but not right now. And Jesus even made that distinction, didn't he? I've only come to the house of Israel. I'm coming to Israel first. And that lady had faith, isn't it? Remarkable faith. Well, just give me some crumbs. But that's what they were. He had special loving care for them and only for them. And God's covenant love is like married love, isn't it? What is he going to present in the last day? Christ's church. What is the church like? It's like a husband and wife. You see, that's the kind of love. You only have I known. I've known you like a guy knows his wife. They share intimacy. They share love. They share something else that nobody else can. Well, I kind of like the guy. Well, he's married. Oh, all right. See, there's separation. But, but all along, it's funny that... Man's plan never works. And God proves his plan over and over again. Man's plan uh, to get a blessing. Mm, there's none. What's God's plan? I'm going to call Abram. One of the commentators talks about uh, Genesis chapter 11 going into chapter 12, right? Chapter 11 what is, it? is one of those uh, genealogies, right? One of the portions we read faster than the other portion. And all of a sudden, God's talking to Abraham. And the, the commentator says, this section moves swiftly to highlight God's call to Abraham to become a source of blessing to all humanity. The, the flood's done. All that other stuff's done. Here's a genealogy. And then, boom, here's this guy. And he brings him outside and says, look at the stars. Look at the sand. That's what I'm going to make of you. Well, what's man's plan? Abraham says, well... I'm old and Sarah is barren, so let's let's work a plan through Ishmael. God says, no, my plan, my plan is Isaac. And Isaac is born and he makes a nation out of Ishmael, but he's not the chosen. He's not the promised one. It's God's plan, not man's plan. Well, what's going to happen next? He tells Rebecca, the the elder will serve the younger. There's twins in the womb. And God says the elder's going to serve the younger. What's man's plan? Esau gets the blessing. What's God's plan? Even though he uses lies and trickery, Isaac gets the blessing. Because that's what God said was going to happen. Man's plan comes, comes in later on. All these kids are all over the place. But Jake, Joseph seems to be made special above everybody else. Well, I know what our plan is going to be. Let's get rid of him for good. You remember the scene. Reuben comes back. They throw him in a pit. Reuben is the only one he wants to deliver him and save his life. And Joseph isn't there. And he goes back to his brothers and says, what have you done? He says, too late. He's gone. Well, that's the end of Joseph, isn't it? Well, no. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people, uh, that many people can be kept alive. That's God's plan. 
And that's what we just plugged into. That's what he just said. You're my people, and it's the whole family that I brought out of Israel, out of Egypt. Excuse me. Well, then here's the increase of the people. And what do we got to do with all these people? We got to put them under harder subjection, don't we? We got to make sure they don't populate anymore. Hey, I got a good idea. Let's kill all the male babies. You know, the, you know, in the history of the scripture and, and the history of our nation and many histories, people are always killing babies, aren't they? The most innocent of all. Oh, he was born in Bethlehem, two years old, kill all the babies. Oh, we have a sexual revolution and all our, half our college women are pregnant. They don't want to be. They'd rather have a career. Get rid of them too. It's sick. But somehow the babies are always killed. Kill them all. Kill them all. But what's God's plan? This little basket is floating in a river. It's amazing. That's God's plan. That's almighty God. How does that happen? And who gets to nurse him? His own mother. How does that happen? Because God's in control. Man is not in control. He raises a deliverer out of the middle of a, of a river by the daughter of the Pharaoh so he can have his life preserved. Where is he going to be safe? He can't walk, right? Pharaoh, do you know there's a toddler over in the Israeli camp? We said to kill them years ago. All right, go get him. Where is he safe? Pharaoh's court, Pharaoh's house. Where is he going to go? Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, doesn't remember man's plan. You people are not going anywhere. God's plan, I'm going to display my power over every aspect of creation and bring out redemption and judgment. That's what happens. The final judgment. How in the world... How in the world does the Pharaoh not see it? Well, he says he hardened his heart, but God said, I'm going to harden my heart because I'm going to make an example of him. What a terrible example. And it, it, cost him his, it cost him all those children. It cost him all those things. Eventually, it cost him his life. And here's the picture. Here's the picture. How do you get saved? Put the blood over your door. Well, what does that look to? What is that picture? The Israelites could do nothing at all to save themselves. And God performed all the glorious works and all the wonderful things to get them out of there. And I submit to you that we can't do anything to save ourselves from the sin and the world and the devil unless God helps us and delivers us. And the way it's, the way it's done is because there's a blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's more powerful than any Pharaoh. It's more powerful than any devil. It's more powerful than my own flesh. And it's more powerful than the world that can, that can drag me down. Amen. And that's how he gets them out. And then saves them again. What's their plan? Oh no, here come the Egyptians again. Just stand back and watch. 
Our chariots are getting stuck here. What's going on? You, you didn't realize it. You didn't realize it. Ten things happened, and you didn't realize it. What a horrible picture. What a horrible day that will be for somebody to realize God came to me over and over and over and said, repent and believe. And now I know. Here's trumpets. Here's angels. Here's the glorified Christ. And it's too late. The stark contrast, the amazing contrast is in verse 2, the second part of it. Therefore, I will punish. Wait a minute. I thought you just said that you knew these people above all the people of the whole earth. Yes, that's right. But you don't sin against God just because you have spiritual privilege. You don't say, well, I'm Orthodox Presbyterian. Don't you know that? Well, that's fine. But you better walk with the Lord. You better follow the steps of Jehovah. You better follow what God says. But that's the problem. It, it carried out, didn't it? And Jesus even told him, or John the Baptist, I think, told him, don't even think that you can say, I'm a child of Abraham. The, John chapter 8, that's what the Pharisee says. Abraham's our father. We don't know where your father is. With privilege comes great responsibility. Great responsibility. If you're God's chosen people, you're to walk in his ways. You're to be an example, actually, to the other nations, not do what all the other nations do. And Israel completely failed. Many prophets preached and warned, but they didn't listen. And now God uses another amazing picture, and he starts to ask these questions. And the questions are all things that are controlled by creation, like natural things that either God created or, or man learned. Chapter, uh, verse uh, three, uh, 3 through 6. So there are pictures to think about. And, and there it starts in verse 3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? No, they don't. Because if they didn't agree to meet, they didn't know, wouldn't know where to go to walk together. But, but God is also saying, two can't walk together because we're not agreed. You, you are not in agreement with me. You are idolater. Two, the father and the son are going into the same temple prostitute. You are not following my word. We, we're, we're in disagreement. But, but notice these pictures. Does the lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No, he doesn't. Does a young lion out, cry out from a den when he takes nothing? No, he doesn't. These are pictures from creation. Then, then the bird. Man learned how to catch birds using a snare. But if the snare doesn't spring up from the ground, is it going to catch the bird? Birds aren't domestic. I don't know if you know that. But you can't go, here birdie, here birdie. You got to catch him. You got to throw something up. And, and look at the next. Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? So, so I'm going to set my trap, whatever kind they use, right? We're familiar with the one in the spring and the jaws and all that stuff. I don't think they had that. But they made something. But does air trigger it? 
Does a breeze trigger it? No. It doesn't, it doesn't snap. It doesn't spring uh, unless, uh, unless something's in it. But, but here's the burning question. Is a trumpet blown in the city and the people are not afraid? And we've seen examples of trumpet before, right? Trumpet, trumpet, trumpet. In Joel, it was blow the trumpet because here comes problems. In Hosea, it was blow the trumpet. Because what are, you, what are you doing? You're warning, here comes the invading nation. You're warning, we're in trouble. The, the condemnation of one of the, one of the uh, six nations included the trumpet. You're going to hear the trumpet right in your own city. That's bad. Because that means they're there already, and the trumpet is rallying more troops to come and get you. Then... Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? No. Who can bring disaster? Who controls what goes on? Nothing happens without the Lord God, he says. He says, hear the word unless the Lord has done it. And then he, and then he says, we'll, we'll, we'll have to end with this, but just... Uh, briefly, this doesn't just happen. It wasn't obedient Israelites and obedient people in Jerusalem and obedient people. They were warned and warned and warned. And that's the, and that's the, uh, the idea. The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? Remember, Amos started with, the Lord roars out of Zion. When you hear the Lord roaring, you better react. Remember the, remember the sluggard? He said, oh, there's a lion out in the road. I can't go to work today. I'm a little worried. No, but when the Lord roars, you better react. You better do something. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? The idea is once God's word gets out, once judgment is going to come, you've got to tell everybody else. People have got to start prophesying. People have got to tell people. God's roaring from Zion. God has spoken. God's the only one that can bring disaster. That's, that's what, what's going to happen. And so, so that helps us to anticipate the trumpet call and the disaster do not come out of the blue. God always warns and calls people to repentance. Many sins, many prophets, many idols, many voices against idolatry. And, and for today, we'll end there, and uh, we'll, we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for this picturesque language that uh, even helps to write your word on our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing love and choosing care over the Israelites and protecting them. We're thankful for the... The picture that we've seen even this morning of how your plans uh, always work out to the end. We're thankful that that includes the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, you said in many sermons that it was your will that he should come and die. And we're thankful for the many promises and the many uh, things that we can believe on because we know that you are able to accomplish them. We pray that it would encourage our faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.